back to episode 67 of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. To get almost 20 hours of world-class online video strength and conditioning information, go to upmentorship.com and help support the show. This episode's guest is Martin Bingser from hammermedia.com. Martin is a hammer throw coach situated in Switzerland in Europe. Formerly, Martin trained under world-renowned coach Dr. Anthony Bonderchuk. Bonderchuk, of course, is the author of Transfer Training in Sports, Part 1 and 2, and is one of the most published researchers with regards to the topic of transfer of training. On this episode, me and Martin discussed many topics, including obviously Martin's background and influences, and we went into a deep discussion with regards to Dr. Bonderchuk's training system. This was a really great episode, guys, and I hope you really enjoy it. Okay, uh, Martin Bingazer, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on my show. Just for the listeners who may not be too familiar with who you are, just fill us in on your background. Yeah, well, I'm a hammer thrower, so there <laughs> is a hammer thrower. Most people aren't familiar with us. We're kind of on our own little island in the sports world. But, um, yeah, I'm, the, I'm a uh, Swiss national champion and a Swiss national coach in the hammer throw. Uh, I, I'm most well-known, though, for... My coach, Anatoly Bondarchuk, I've worked with him for, this will be my 10th year working with him, and, and he's one of the few hammer throwers whose names has gotten outside the sport of track and field and hammer throwing uh, because of all the research and stuff he's done. He was a gold medalist, world record holder in our sport, but uh, he's done a lot of work on transfer training and periodization, and um, uh, I've done a lot, uh, worked with him for a long time and been able to try and help, um, not necessarily translate, but translate from his version of English to the more uh, more comprehensible <laughs> version so that people can digest and uh, implement a lot of his ideas and see how it applies to, to different sports and different events. Yeah, his, his books can be a bit of a, a hard read, all right, that's for sure. Um, is it, isn't it, is, was there a case where he, like, he meddled in the Olympics and so did one of his athletes at the same time? Yeah, he, he was the Olympic champion in 72. He didn't actually even start throwing the hammer until he was in his mid-twenties um, and then in his, his late twenties in 72 he was the Olympic champion uh, started coaching around that time and took on a few athletes and in 1976 he went back to the Olympics uh, won the bronze medal but one of his pupils uh, ended up winning the gold medal so he was after that he just <laughs> started focusing on coaching full-time yeah that's, that's amazing isn't it um just in terms of your influence, obviously Bonnerchuk is going to be your biggest influence, but is there anyone else who you'd say has been the biggest influence on you as a, as a coach? I mean, there, there are a couple other people. To, I'm really lucky. I've actually had two gold medalists that I've worked with in my career. Uh, when I was first starting out, I, I learned it on my own, and I was able to run into Harold Connolly, who was the last American, um, to win the gold medal also of Irish descent as a huge Irish tradition in hammer throwing. But um, he, he was coaching at the time and he was able to mentor me when I was in high school and college and uh, you know I didn't learn as much from him about training methods and all that kind of stuff because I was young and at that point as long as I did something I was going to get better but what I learned the most from him is just uh, you know until the day he died he died in 2010 until you know his last day he was still trying to learn and be better and he was already at the highest level in the sport and he was always trying to get better so that was a, a huge influence for me at a young age because you look up to these guys and you think they know everything and he, he turns around and says no I don't I, I, I can still learn so uh, he was a big influence and then and more recently I've uh, quite a few coaches I've gotten to know through my website uh, Vern Gambetta um, Dan Pfaff uh, and some others have just been good sounding boards for ideas they, they, they are all very experienced in many sports and in many events and have had success in all of them and uh, more than anything they had just good bullshit detectors so you can run something by them and they'll be like no this is you know tried that or that just doesn't sound right and they can kind of you know separate what works from what doesn't very easily and uh, very common sense approach to training which I, yeah, I pick up yeah. on. Dan Faft is someone I've been trying so hard to get onto the show but he's almost next to impossible to, for, for me to communicate or, or to try and get in contact with him but um, 
Yeah, he, he, I know. I know a lot of Dan stuff through like audios and sort of videos I have him, and definitely he's he's someone that definitely has a very logical sort of thought process when it comes to when it comes to training. But I've been pretty lucky because another guy who's uh, Derek Ebley's been another guy who influenced me quite a bit. He was over in the UK for a while, and um, now it's back on its own. But he he was the one who brought Bonnerchuk over to Canada. He was a, a coach, a club coach there, and and hired Bonnerchuk back in two thousand five. So he's had a chance to work alongside with Bonderchuk for a couple of years, and then he's um, he's also very good friends with Dan Pfaff, uh, you know, influenced by Charlie Francis and a lot of the Canadian coaches. And so he's able to um, you know take a lot of these outside influences and uh, put that together with Bonderchuk. And he's another guy. His methods are very similar to Bonderchuk's and mine, um, but he's trying new things, and we, we can talk to each other quite a bit and see you know what do you think of this idea, what do you think of that idea. I'm just. You know, and just having a group of people you can um, you know, throw ideas together with and get their feedback from is, I think, important to any coach at any level. Big time. If I was to pose the question then to you about the biggest influence on you as a person, would you name anyone else in that category? Um, Harold Connolly would be that. So be the first person. I think when, when I first met him, as a person, I was a 300-pound, well, on the football roster, I weighed 300 pounds. I was probably more like 310 or 320. Uh, American football lineman, just you know, out of shape, um, mediocre shot putter. Didn't really have a whole lot of talent or direction on what I was doing. Um, and he he really motivated me to pursue the hammer throw. And he was one of the first people to tell me, "Hey, I can be good at something." And you know, since then I've really dedicated everything I've done to the event. And that um, you know, I had terrible grades at that point probably wouldn't have gone to university um, but you know that also if I wanted to throw hammer throw I needed to do uh, university so that turned my life around academically physically I got in shape and just you know emotionally I got motivated I had something that I wanted to strive for and he was really a huge influence on me as a person great stuff what would you say Martin are the biggest problems you see within the the training profession as a whole that's a big question. <laughs> well, we, we have lots of time, so you can you can delve into it in detail. No, I think um, I mean actually, I, there, I think there's more right than wrong in a lot of uh, training. But if you if you want to focus on what's going, uh, what are the some of the common problems I see? Yeah. The, the biggest thing I see is that people easily lose sight of what they're training for. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you want to be you're not trying to be better at the bench press. You're not trying to be better at your vertical. You're not trying to be better at you know your your thirty meter dash or forty yard dash or whatever. You're you're trained to be better uh, as a hammer thrower, as a rugby player, as a basketball player, and um, that connection people lose uh, often, especially in sports where it's hard to measure what is good. Um, so you you always need to figure, out, and that that's one of my big influences from Bonnerchuk is you know he, he's all about transfer training. You need to be able to see measure and, and make sure what you're doing is always making you better in your sport yeah yeah and like the, with, with Bonderchuk he did so much research into the transfer training do you ever think there could be a, a sort of more simpler way to kind of almost instantaneously justify the transfer of of an exercise I suppose it, it depends who on the individual because we all know that more people with lesser trained people obviously they have greater transfer obviously of certain exercises because their their training age is less than with a, a more experienced athlete but it does seem to be hard to say you know equivocally what does transfer over to what i suppose to different individuals different things will transfer over as well but do you think that it will come more mainstream essentially is what i'm asking that more coaches will start to realize you know we need to start focusing on things that have a more higher transfer well i think it's at the end, it's a, it's a very individual process, and you know, Bonnerchuk's done a lot of research. In his books, he's got tables and tables of numbers, but yeah, yeah. all that is is to help you find a better starting point. Because you know, what works best for a group is not always what works best for each individual. Like you can say, for hammer throwers, uh, the best exercise might be the best Olympic lift might be a snatch, mm. um, and for maybe nine out of ten hammer throwers. It is the snatch, but what if you're that one and it's a clean or something? Yeah, so yeah. you have to really experiment. and You can take his research and you can use that as a starting point and say, hey, we're going to try snatch because it works for most people. But then you're always going to have to go back and validate that. And to do that, you need to be able to 
see you know how far am I throwing? Am I actually getting better as my results get better here? Um, see how the technique plays into that, and make sure you're you're controlling all the variables and seeing if what you're doing is actually working. And you don't need that. It helps to have kind of that starting point that he says in general. You know these things have higher transfer for the hammer for the hundred meters, but um, you don't really need that. You can you can try it on your own. The most important thing is that whatever you're trying, you're getting feedback from it and you're seeing if it's if it's working. That's the key element. Is you need to have some feedback and some evidence and uh, see what you're doing is working. And many times it's not going to work, and that's that's actually good because then you learn you learn from it. But um, by, by feedback, do you mean like it, it, like the competition exercise or the performance in competition is improving? Is that the feedback you mean that you're going to get from what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, that's the main feedback. For us, it, it's quite easy because we can measure how far we're throwing. So yeah, we know, yeah. are we better or not? Uh, in other sports, it's a bit more difficult. But uh, yeah, in our world, it's, you know, if you're a runner, you have a, you have a stopwatch. If you're a thrower, you have a tape measure. And uh, you can actually see... You know, the train I did the last six months, it helped me improve three meters. Um, the train I'm doing the next six months, it might help me improve a meter. You know, something worked better in the last one than this one. Let's try and figure out what it was. Yeah, yeah. Like, I guess it's, we know, like, adaptations can take a while. Now, of course, different qualities have different uh, different time periods in, in terms of how, how long they take to stimulate others. And then, obviously, there are residuals as well after you stop that train. And I guess it's just... You know, it's kind of trying to zone in on like, is this transferring over? Not having to wait like that three to six months. You're like, oh, that that worked or that didn't work. You know, but I mean, that's the beauty of training. But one thing that I, like has really kind of stuck out with me the past year in my education has been the idea of specificity. You know, you kind of like I have more of a strength and conditioning background. It was kind of just more about lifting weights and conditioning. You know, but then you kind of get this more holistic picture of that. No, it's it, at the end of the day, it comes down to improving the sports performance and the competition exercise. And whatever that competition exercise is for you, it's hammer throwing. For me, it's like usually daily games here in Ireland or some type of uh, some type of field game. But can you maybe just touch on like Bondarchuk is very big on specificity, and, and he he uh, he seems to always have the competition exercise within every training block. You know, you see like traditional kind of trainings, like you, know, you have this general preparatory period where you don't go near your competition exercise. And again, going back to what we just discussed there on like, how do you know if even what you're doing in general prep is carrying over to your competition exercise if it's not even in the block in some period? So maybe can you just be, touch on like the need for having specificity throughout your training? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I can explain a little bit how we're doing in the hammer throw and yeah, with, yeah, the, with the caveat that what he does in the hammer throw, he wouldn't necessarily prescribe for every sport. Yeah. Um, it, you have to look at the needs of the sport and, and how it works together. Um, the what we're basically doing is we're doing he has four exercise classifications from very specific to very general um, and, and as we were talking about beforehand I did a video with uh, Joel Jamison on 8 Weeks Out a couple years ago that explains this more in detail but to give the quick overview he has the most specific exercise category is your sport mm -hmm. uh, competitive exercise he calls it the next specific is uh, our specific developmental exercises, you know, these have a part of the movement you're training for and are using the same muscles. So, you know, for me, it might be some type of twisting exercise because uh, we have a rotational sport. Uh, it, it might be we use four turns on throw. Maybe I'll do a throw with one turn. Or, you know, you're breaking down your sport into its components. Um, a little less specific from that are specific preparatory exercises, and those you're, you're using your same muscles and, and bodily systems but in a different movement. So... For us, it'd be a squat, a clean, a snatch, you know, something like that, where we're using the legs, we're being explosive, uh, but it looks nothing like our sport. And then the most general exercises are uh, using different bodily systems. It might be a little bit more aerobic in nature, uh, using different movements and that type of thing. Uh, but when you look at it, uh, for him, it's kind of a breakdown of priorities. So you have the four categories. Uh, we're spending in the in the top two categories at least half of our time each training, um, probably closer to 60%, uh, maybe even 65, 70%. Um, and, and that means we're throwing every training. Um, we're doing some special strength exercises. We're doing twisting exercises, med ball throws, you know, things like that. And then we're also doing general stuff every single train. So, you know, a lot of people say they look at what I talk about or what Bonnerchuk talks about and think we're ignoring the, the general component. But we're still doing general training every single training. 
and for his training group, that means most of the time that's 10 training sessions a week, we're doing squats, or we're doing step-ups, or we're doing cleans, or we're doing snatch. So you get a ton of volume, actually, and, and people people overlook that. But uh, the main the main difference between that and a lot of other training programs in the throws is that uh, the vast majority of time is spent uh, throwing or doing special strength exercises. Mm. Like I said, that might be different for other sports. I mean, the reason we do that is because there's a high transfer. Um, there's a, it's a very technical sport, so um, you know, just weightlifting uh, is not going to have as much transfer as throwing plus weightlifting. Uh, but there might be other sports where you have a higher transfer from weightlifting and maybe you want to do more time in the general category. There may also be sports where there's less technical elements, so you don't need to spend the whole year throwing or the whole year doing the sport. Or even, you know, I, you look at NCAA sports, there are rules that prevent you from doing the sport year-round. So you actually, you, you're not allowed to. So you have to come up with a different type of periodization or um, in team sports, you might not be able to practice them alone, so you would also have to have blocks without doing it. So you have to kind of look and see see how the sport is and see how you arrange it. But for us, uh, that's one of the key elements is making sure we're doing we're doing a little bit of everything all year, but the focus is always on the specific stuff. In terms of the, the intensity, the intensity is usually fairly low, but it's just that the volume is high. Is that correct? It, exactly. So we are... I mean, this year I backed off because I'm... I'm still training, but I'm focusing more on coaching, and so that's, that's not my top priority anymore. But we would typically train 10 times a week, so we do five five trainings, um, five days training twice a day, and each training we'd be lifting. And if you're lifting high intensities 10 times a week, you're gonna and you're either gonna die or you're not gonna get better in the best case scenario. So unless unless um, you're unless you're Bulgarian on a shitload of steroids. Exactly, unless you have a supplementation helping you out, but um, yeah, it's just it's not sustainable. So um, that's why we're we're hitting it often in the sixty to seventy percent range. Um, we're also focusing a bit more on speed strength. So when we're doing um, snatch or clean and those types of you know ranges, you can move the bar very fast. You actually have a very high power output. Um, you know, you're not getting you're not taxing the CNS as much because you're not going up to 9,500%, uh, but you're still getting a good work volume in and you're still getting a good um, a good impact from the train each time and it accumulates over the week. If you if you compare you know, what you would do with a traditional two or three day a week lifting session compared to 10, you know, 30 minute sessions, uh, and what we're doing, the volume as far as tonnage ends up being about twice as much from what I've compared to what athletes are doing under his program and what they did before they started working with him yeah yeah it's it's uh it's interesting like they are you know this, like you're progressively overloading kind of through maintaining the maintain intensity and kind of more manipulating volume sort of more traditional way of you know less frequency and volume and kind of more intensity it's, it's a question i've always sort of kind of tried to figure out myself like what kind of progressive overload scheme is better you know like surely it, obviously there's diminishing returns at the far end of those continuums but is the intensity always kind of just maintained the same, Martin, throughout? And is, is it manipulation of volume? Or does there, is there ever times in your training where intensity will go up? It, there might be a small fluctuation throughout the year. So maybe we'll do sets of five in the fall, which is our off-season, and then sets of three during the summer for Olympic lifts. Or, you know, so it, and with that, maybe move from 65 to 70 75% throughout the year. But we're really staying in a pretty narrow range. Um, what Vondrachuk's periodization is based on, and which is completely different than most other periodization methods, is it's not based on volume and intensity. We're not doing wave loading. We're not doing a kind of a, mm. uh, a general, you know, kind of that, that X you see in traditional periodization, moving from high volume, low intensity to high intensity, low volume throughout the year. Um, with traditional periodization, that's where you get the the new adaptation and the new elements of change is by changing the volume and changing the intensity, you're giving a new stimulus to the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shuck instead gets that through changing the exercises. So we'll keep the volume intensity the same. And then after a training block, in the next block, we use completely different exercises. So we might be doing cleans, snatch, um, you know, some ab and back exercises in the weight room for one training block. Sorry, cleans and squats, let's say we're doing. Um, in the next training block, we would do snatch and step-ups, maybe. Yeah. So 
we're changing the exercises and doing something new, and by doing a new exercise, then your, your body has a new stress and has to adapt again. So rather than changing the volume intensities, we're changing what exercises we're doing uh, in the weight room. And same thing with, you know, we might be throwing a, a light hammer, one training block, the next training block, we'll use a heavy hammer so that it's, it's something new, the body has to readapt, and you have a new stimulus again. So just even with the, the competition exercise, he changes that, does he, every block? Exactly. So that we, we have the advantage, it's pretty easy to manipulate that. We can throw, for men, uh, the competition hammer 16 pounds, 7.26 kilos. And we will range anything from 5 to 10 kilos. We have, you know, at, at the track here, I have a 5, I have a 6, I have a 6.5 kilo, a 7.26, an 8. Eight and a half, nine, ten. So you have a whole bunch of different implements you can use, and that allows you to kind of change them throughout the year uh, through each training block, and not have to come back to the same thing too often. And even with the, uh, you know, Olympic lifts, you might go clean one block, snatch one block, you know, then close grip snatch, then hang clean. Um, you know, there, there are a whole bunch of different variations of those mm. you can do mm. too. It's not just that you have two options; you have uh, twenty options. Oh yeah, so uh, or you can do pulls, or you can do you know and you, know, you can do front squats, you can do back squats, you can do half squats, you can do step ups, you can do lunches, you know, each kind of category that we're putting into our programming, uh, you have a lot of options in each exercise category, so. With more beginners, you'd obviously go, or maybe not obviously, but are you going with sort of less, more or less variety and, and keeping them sort of more, kind of on a more just plain program, if you want to say? Um, can you explain a little better like so I mean you know with a beginner changing up exercises a lot you know usually it's necessary for two reasons one they're beginners so they don't accommodate to doing the same exercise that quickly and second of all they need to actually learn how to do the exercise so changing up every few weeks would be great for a beginner so if you had more of a novice type athlete like would you stick more with the same sort of exercises for longer it um in general yes but I mean it goes back to the individual so you you would give them the protocol and get the feedback from them and see when they reach you know the accommodation and then then switch it for them it takes longer so then we, we'd stay on it longer but for for bonner chuck it's it's that way with all the athletes so he's he's monitoring all of them uh, with elite athletes with his older athletes younger athletes and it, how long each training phase is is tailored to them and also uh, for him also older athletes require longer it's not that um not that they take longer to get used to the exercises, but just the the body doesn't react like it used to. It needs more rest. It needs a longer period of time to um, to adapt. Mm -hmm. And so, for for the older athletes, it's um, typically even a longer period of adaptation required. So the the blocks tend to be longer in length. Do you find that it's it's a hard sell to kind of throwers coming from more traditional throwing programs where they're used to lifting heavy, and now that you're telling them, no, no, you know, keep it light, and then you know, and now it's five times a week, twice a day, and it's more volume. Like, how do you find the buy-in is from throwers who came from previous backgrounds? Uh, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I mean, it's, it's hard for anyone if you're used to doing something. Um, a certain way, yeah. Not even about training, but, you know, even in life in, in general. In yeah. life in general. Yeah, if you're yeah. used to doing something and it works reasonably well, it, it's a risk to, to change it up. So it, it's a hard buy-in. I think um, it, it was a harder buy-in for people... 10 years ago when he first came to Canada and before that he was a name but people didn't really have a good grasp of what he was doing and uh, all his results were in, in the Soviet Union uh, during the 80s so you know there was always kind of the cop out oh well the success was only from doping um, after the Soviet Union was gone he was in the Middle East for a while and you know he didn't have a lot of athletes to work with so he didn't have a big track record after that so people were kind of like oh you know that was kind of a, a one-off not a one-off, but a 20-year period of run he had there, and that, that was it. But since he's come to Canada, he started to produce a lot of, you know, elite world-class throwers and medalists that were not at that level when he started working with them. People are seeing, oh, this this actually, this can work in a, in a different setting. So I think people become more and more receptive um, as he's produced results over the past few years. And, and is what he's doing is actually getting out there more. A lot of the stuff I'm writing... Um, a lot of other coaches and athletes working with them, they're, they're able to see what he's doing and uh, it's less foreign and they can kind of see the similarities in it. But it, it's still quite difficult and I think a 
lot of that comes from the fact that like if you if you focus seventy five percent of your time on lifting as a beginner, you're going to get good. Um, you know, he Bonnerchuk won't deny that. No one's going to deny that. You can get very good results to an intermediate level by focusing away from the competitive events and away from the special strength. Um, at beginning and intermediate levels in the hammer throw and track and field in general, um, general exercises have a very high transfer. But the difficulty is once you get to those advanced levels, that drops off. And you look at the world-class shot putters, all of them are strong, but you might have some guy with a bench press of 500 and another guy with a bench press of 350, and they're throwing the same distance. So that tells you, you know, hey, maybe you actually don't need to be a 500-pound bencher to throw that far. But um, the coaches using the traditional system, they see that it gets their, their athletes very quickly to the intermediate level, and then they kind of fall into the, the trap that thinking what worked them to, to get them there is going to continue to work to get them to the next level. And, um, that's not always the case. So, has Bondarchuk ever? Now, I, I know obviously he, he doesn't have great English, um, and I don't know how much you've ever conversed with him. Uh, but has he ever like explained how this thought process came about? Like, how did he formulate this this these training ideas? You know, actually, that's I need to have a conversation with him about that. <laughs> I, I know it's been a, a process because even what he's doing now is not. Um, what do you, the what same as what he's doing in the '80s, and in the '80s this was different than in the '70s, and uh, you know, I, a lot of it I think came about by trial and error. Like I said, he he began with a hammer throw quite late. He would start out as a discus thrower, um, and he was his own coach, and so it was a lot of trial and error. Um, I'm sure he had a lot of big influences. You know, Medvedev and, and a lot of those guys were um, you know, very big influences in the sporting scene at that time, but he. He also wanted to see how to get better, so I'm sure he started trying around with new ideas. And um, also, through, he he was a student and studied a long time too, so I'm sure it was somehow related to that. He got into trying some different things and ended up working. He had the luxury; he had a a huge training group to work with. His Soviet national coach. He had a lot of athletes at his disposal and could try different things with them and really see what works, what doesn't work, and and get feedback. Um, you know, now if I'm I'm coaching about five athletes. If he had 50 athletes at one time, he, you know, that's 10 years of my experience right there. If I, if I take five athletes a year, it's going to take me 10 years to get the same amount of feedback he can get in one year. So um, you can really accelerate the process of finding out what works and what doesn't by just the, the sheer size of numbers. Yeah, big time, man. Personally, what what got you into throwing, Martin? How, how did you start? You said you played football, so obviously there there was a there was a transition there from football into throwing, was there? Uh, I actually started throwing um, when I was probably fourteen, fifteen, and in the shot put. Um, I played football for a couple of years in high school, but that was only when I was seventeen or eighteen, uh, just because that was kind of the cool thing to do. Um, before all the concussion stories and all that kind of stuff, and now people are scared of the sport, but. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I started out doing shot put, and then Harold Connolly was one of the main guys who who got me into the hammer throw. I I tried it once or twice before. Um, I'd seen it at a meet and thought it looked cool, and then I, there was another meet coming up where uh, I had the chance to sign up for it, and it didn't require any qualification or anything, so I, I signed up for it and, and liked it. But I, I wouldn't have gone further if I didn't have any guidance, and that's what Harold helped uh, provide me with a little bit of direction and also some mentoring to figure out actually what to do. And then in, in terms of uh, Bondershook, how did you first hear about him and how did you how did you get in contact with him? I mean, he was, in our sport, he's like a god because he's, he's coached so many Olympic medalists. He's coached the world record holder. Uh, you know, his athletes from, from 76 to 92, they swept the podium at the Olympics other than the, the boycott Olympics in 84. Um, so he... And technically, also not just training wise, but the technical model is is based on on his athletes. So in the hammer throw, you're always hearing his name and you're always looking at him. Uh, when I was coaching myself, uh, I tried to find out as much about him as possible because I wanted to figure out what he was doing so I could do that. And it, it was difficult because even I mean I'm not that old, but you know even 15 years ago, uh, trying to find training articles online was difficult what was online was not always accurate or um, you don't know the sources necessarily so 
I, I really had to search to figure out what he was doing, but that I think almost made it more fun because I would I did a study abroad in university and went to to Vienna, which is great gateway to Eastern Europe, and visited a lot of coaches that were implementing his methods. So I got to learn secondhand what his methods were. Uh, I would through my university library, I was able to find you know, 30, 40 articles he'd written um, and, and read those and go through them and try and work out the contradictions in them, um, which now is, I mean, I, I, in talking with him, it's just from bad translations or <laughs> um, people translating just a snippet of work and taking it out of context, uh, most uh, often without his permission back in the 80s, they'd just find something in the Russian journal and republish it. But uh, so I was trying to figure out, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there about what he was doing. And then in uh, 2005, he moved to British Columbia uh, in Canada. And I was living in Seattle in Northwest America, about a four-hour drive from where he was at. So it was a no-brainer. As soon as he got there, I, a couple weeks later, I was up, up there visiting him for a training camp. And uh, he offered to ride my training program at the end of the camp. So from from there, uh, figured that was the best way to learn from him was get him, get him to tell me what to do and learn from the source. And what what was that like the the first time? Like, because he again his English isn't too great. It's kind of fairly broken, isn't it? So like, how was it to communicate me? You know, because it must mean like a bit starstruck. Like, ah, oh, Mister Doctor Bonnichuk, I've read all your stuff, and he's kind of just like, yeah. Yeah, when he when he uh, well, my wife and I debate this now because I think his English is a lot better now, and she thinks that I just understand him better. But when he got here, his English definitely was is was not that great. Um, but thankfully, Derek was around there, uh, Derek Evely, and was able to, you know, translate or at least interpret what he was trying to tell, because he had a few weeks more experience working with him than I did, so he was able to uh, guide us through the process. But, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, I get there and you're, you're in a bit of awe um, that, you know, this guy is actually coaching in some small town in British Columbia now, so you, once you get over that, um, you know, next thing you know, he's telling you, go warm up, go take this throw, go take that, and, you know, you just jump right into it. He didn't really care what your background was, who you were. Um, he just wanted to help you throw further. And, you know, we had, at that time, there was one, Dylan Armstrong was there, and he was born and raised in Kamloops, and uh, the one world-class athlete he had, but the rest were just a lot of, a bunch of local kids. I mean, most of them without much talent. Um, and so it was a real interesting mix of people because you had these you know you had kids throwing 10 meters in the shot put and then you had Dylan who was you know a couple three years later ended up winning an Olympic medal so um, and then I was somewhere in the middle so it was it was a cool environment because not a lot of elite coaches you see work one second with a beginner and the next second with uh, an elite athlete and being able to transition that is there any areas that you disagree with Bonnerchuk on because now that you're coaching, is there any sort of things in your own coaching philosophy that you're like, yeah, that'd be one area I'm not too sure I agree with him? And the, the big things we, we agree on, and he's, you know, I've, I've trained with his methods for 10 years, so that's like the 95% of what I'm doing is uh, based on him. I don't necessarily disagree with him on, on many things, but... Um, there are areas where I'm, I'm trying to experiment and see see what we can do differently, or if something else might be a little bit better. And that's where you know Dan and, and Derek um, play an influence. And then it's also in, kind of in the in the general work, what we're doing for the general work for Bonnerschuk. It tends to be you kind of select a few exercises, and um, you know you do them at a train, and that kind of hits some of the general areas. You know. And for, for Derek and Dan, it's also using that, you have a small amount of time and a small amount of work you're putting into that area, but using that more selectively and trying to also you know, do work that's gonna be also preventing injuries or might be addressing some weaknesses. And so tailoring that, the workload, how we're distributing it's about the same, but just trying to see if we can tailor it a little bit here or there to, um, to make it even better. And then there's not a high injury rate with Bonnerschuk's system, so it's not like that's an issue, but um, just trying to see if there's some tweaks here or there can make it even even better. Have you ever uh, implemented this type of system in sports outside of Tron? 
No, I mean, so far my coaching experience has been just in, in track and field. So I've, I've talked to a lot of people about implementing other sports, but I've never actually had the, do, the do chance know, do you to know anyone, put it on. Do you know anyone that has? Or? No, not off the top of my head. I mean, a lot of people end up taking pieces here or there, and I think that's where it's the, um, it, it works the easiest. I mean, just as far as prioritizing or uh, you know, classifying exercises and seeing where you're distributing the workload. Yeah, yeah. Um, even in the at least in the loading as far as more constant loading I've seen uh, people do that I know Thomas Lenski at uh, NFL coach for Jacksonville Jaguars he does a lot of uh, in his lifting very constant loading and, and not a whole lot of changes in volume and intensity and he, he said he's influenced by Bonnerchuk in that regard but as far as a wholesale approach from him for Bonnerchuk I, I haven't haven't seen that yet but I think also there's um, part of that is a lot of the information out there on Bonnerchuk is it's not giving a 360 degree view of what he's doing. It's giving a little bit of information here, a little bit of information there. So it's hard to really implement it. Yeah, sure. uh, as, fully. As, the, as the old saying goes, a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. Yeah, I <laughs> definitely. And I think even with uh, even with some track and field coaches I talk to, I don't always recommend the, that method because if you're going to do it, I mean, if you do anything half-assed, it's probably not the best to do it at all. So. Yeah. Um, that's not to say you have to do everything he's saying or it's not going to work. You can definitely take some of the principles out, but you need to be sure you understand those principles before you're trying to implement it in another system. Uh, as with any type of training method or any type of system, you need to know what you're doing. Yeah. In, in terms of uh, the biggest, with yourself now, and this could be both when you were an athlete, I know you're, you're and you've recently just stopped competing, so it's not, not to make it sound like you're retired, <laughs> retired a long time. But in, in terms of the biggest mistakes and biggest things you've learned so far in your career, what, what would you say those things have been? Well, I actually am still competing. It's not, I'm more competing for fun at this point, though, so it's not, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't really have ambitions to um, be at the highest level anymore. But the, the, the biggest thing I've, I learned in my time, I guess there are two things, and I, I don't know if I would have done them differently just because I, I learned a lot from the process, but... The first is the value of having a coach with you, um, especially in a technical sport. A lot of people try and make it on their own, and they think they they know what they're doing, and you know, be their own coach. You see this a lot in individual sports, and you know it can only work so well. And I uh, worked with Bonnerchuk in person for for several years after I finished university, and then I came back over here to Switzerland, and I've been here for the last five years, and the reason I came was not just because I thought I could do it on my own. I, I needed a place where I could have a job that would sustain my, my training habit and give me time to keep training. So that was the main move for coming over here, but I didn't realize at the time how difficult it would be without a coach there every single day. Um, and, and I know in most cases what he would tell me, but just having an outside set of eyes, giving you feedback on technique, and an outside set of eyes, being able to tell what shape you're in, uh, how you're reacting, how you're adapting, and, and tailor training based on that is uh, often undervalued in our sport. I think uh, too many people think that they, they know it and can do it on their own. Um, I had one more thing I was going to add, but... It might come to you. That happens to me. That, <laughs> that happens to me so many times in podcasts. I'm like, what was I? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, the... Um, yeah, maybe it'll come to me later, but that, that, that's one of the main things I've learned. Oh, so I, I guess the second thing is related to that is just the impact of, uh, you know, we always focus on the training plans and what we're doing in training, but what we're doing out of training has such a big impact. And I can look at my training years and I can track the results based on how much I was working, um, you know, how much stress I had moving, changing jobs, changing um, cities and that kind of stuff. And you can kind of see the results go up and down. And, you know, the saying is always, you know, stress is stress. Your body doesn't care if it's coming from an exercise or if it's coming from, from life. But that's a huge impact. And, you know, the last year or two, I've really sought to stabilize that. And my results have stabilized quite a bit. That, you know, from one week to the next, it doesn't jump up and down based on, you know, if it, I mean, yeah, have a busy a couple of weeks of work or not. It's uh, trying to focus on controlling the variables outside of life, uh, outside of life, outside of training so that the ones in training uh, can work their best. That means sleep, that means work, that means relationships, that means you know all the other things. And I think 
it's you know, not the most complex thing in theory, but to implement can be quite difficult. In regards to resources, Martin, what what top what would be your top resources? And it doesn't have to be just in terms of training; it could be anything, you know, like nutrition, health, wellness, life, self development, whatever. Uh, what would be your top resource? And it doesn't have to be a book now; it could be any resource, you know, a course, a audio program, whatever. But in terms of just resources for coaches or any people listening to this, what what would they be? Yeah, there are a lot of great books. I think um, one book I recently reread was the. Um, I forget the name of it. That's Gorski's book about the science of yeah, science and practice of strength training. Exactly. So, um, I mean, that's just a fundamental book that uh, if you want to know more about training, if you want to be a coach, you need to understand those basic principles. And I'm not a science guy; I don't have a background in that. But uh, he's able to get pretty deep into some of the topics uh, while maintaining a, a level of understanding that anyone can approach. So, I think that's would be one of my first recommendations for someone. Um, I mean, modern choice books are, are, are quite, um, they aren't as easy to approach, but they, they have a lot of information in there. You might require a second reading. Uh, his transfer training books, if you're a track and field athlete, I think are real, uh, real valuable. Um, but I think more important than that is just the best resources you can have as a coach is finding a mentor, um, finding someone that you can learn from and ask questions to and have that interactive element. And so it, that, you know, whether it's, you know, a successful coach or not, just having someone that's a sounding board and can kind of guide you to not make the mistakes they made again uh, is important. I think uh, I just got to, yeah, it's kind of hard to find a mentor. <laughs> but you, you have to go out, uh, if there's someone you respect, go out and ask. Start a conversation with people, uh, write to them, uh, see how they, you know, see if they're, they're willing to, to help you out. You job shadow them, offer to work as an intern with them, and that type of thing. Then last March, I was out in Arizona for a training camp and stopped by the Dan Papps uh, group, the World Athletic Center. Uh, and he's just one of many coaches there, and many world-class coaches, and they have a, an apprentice program that's starting there. I think that's a, a great idea. I'd love to see other places start because it's basically formalizing a process to uh, find mentors and learn from people hands-on, which is really where you see, you know, you read Zadzgorsi's book and it's great, you understand the principles, but then how do I turn that into a training program? Or how does that affect what I'm doing day to day? That's where I think you need to learn it on the track or on the field. It's, yeah, I'm currently just finished a book called Mastery and, you know, a big tenant in that book is to find a mentor, you know, and, and seek mentors as as a path to, to your mastery in your, in your chosen field. So, definitely a, a mentor is definitely something i'd also recommend it's because i always get i always get young coaches saying what course should i take and i'm like intern don't do a course <laughs> get you f- find a mentor like because you know well they're, you know, they're always thinking they always think if they do a course they'll learn but courses are just so you can get a, a you know you can get insurance so if you kill anyone you're covered um well, well, you have to i think you have to learn i mean every good coach i know tries to learn whatever way they can so they don't oh, yeah. just choose one method of reading or courses or mentors or whatever they do everything they're at all the courses they're reading every day they're you know talking to all their colleagues they're talking to people in different sports completely and i think that's the one of the keys and that's what i've benefited a lot from i don't have a ton of experience coaching at this point because i focus more on my own career as an athlete but um it makes the transition to coaching so much easier because i've got a huge network of people that i can ask you know how would you do this or how would you do that and it makes it so much easier to start out than if I had to do everything on my own and create it from scratch. And I've just been able to be around these world-class coaches, which is a, frankly a luxury, but it's been um, invaluable more than any course, like you said. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and I agree too. Like, like learning is absolutely uh, multifactorial. Like, I'm not just saying only just do a mentorship and don't read or take other courses but it's just when I have like a pure raw beginner and they're like should I take this $5,000 course that'll cert me after a weekend or should I go intern I'm like go intern that you know at, at, the, at the initial in their initial sort of starting phases of coaching well, and frankly it can be a lot cheaper too I mean it's it's not cheap to intern for free or something but um, you end up the amount of value you get out of it is going to be value you're going to get for your whole career and the friends you make there they're going to answer questions for you for free for the rest of your life yeah. um, and it's probably going to end up going other direction at some time 
they're going to be asking questions from you once you start getting experience. So, uh, it, you know, yeah, it, it pays off a lot. Uh, last question then, uh, Martin. Um, in terms of uh, advice you'd give to coaches, and I always, I've been saying this in the last few interviews I've done, I used to always term this question advice to young coaches, but I've stopped saying young because I've got so a diverse uh, listenership to this podcast. So, like, and who's to say that a 60 year old coach can't learn something from a 20 year old coach? We can learn from everyone. So, just in, in a broad sense, what would be your advice to all coaches listening to this? Well, from one of the things I've learned a lot in the past year, I'm just trying to think about this, um, that I think many coaches already know, but uh, sometimes forget, because you, you kind of get in the habit of doing what's comfortable, is you know, talk to people outside your network. And yeah. so for me, I get in a routine, I have three or four people I talk to quite frequently, and they're mostly throwers or hammer throwers, and um, it, it's a great resource. Like I said, these are my, my biggest mentors, but... Um, you end up getting the same ideas uh, over and over, and they're good ideas, but every once in a while you need some fresh ideas. And so you know, try and talk to people from outside your network, even outside your sport. You know, For me, that means talking to different strength and conditioning coaches, talking to a swim coach maybe, talking to a volleyball coach, and just you know, having a chat about training. Maybe you learn nothing, but maybe you, you get some new ideas, and it's always at least it's always getting something new or a completely different perspective. And so I think that's something we all realize we need to do, but it's, it's something you can get in the habit of just talking to the same people over and over. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't I actually couldn't agree more because I'm, I'm definitely a massive proponent of looking outside of your field and, and uh, looking, looking at experts in their fields and, and seeing how you can kind of connect dots to that of what you're doing and definitely even and even just even going to other people within your own field is a start too but I like to branch out with other fields like I like to study nutrition and functional medicine health and wellness and self-development and you know I can see so many connections to that to just coaching you know so definitely agree with that to branch out into other areas and, and speak to other professionals um, Martin, where, where can people find out more about you? So, you know, things like, you know, Facebook, Twitter, obviously your, your website, you can plug there. Um, where can people find out more information? Well, yeah, um, the main hub is my, my website, hammermedia.com. It's uh, spelled hmmrmedia.com, and I've got a blog there. Uh, I've got other um, coaches blogging there. Kibway Johnson, who trains at Bonnerchuk, uh, is U.S. champion of the Hammer Three, has a blog. Um, and Nick Garcia is a high school coach who's implemented a lot of Bonnerchuk stuff. He's got a blog, and we've got a couple other um, athletes and strength and conditioning coaches using different methods, writing there about training, uh, not just for the throws, but also for um, trying to take those principles and see how they apply to other sports. And we've got some new coaches uh, that I'm hoping to add in the next month here, so keep an eye out. Um, from there, you can you can see our, our Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, we're Hammer Media, HMMR Media. On Facebook, too, you can look us up. And so we're we're on all the social media platforms, but I encourage you to check out the site. They've got a ton of resources about um, Bonner Chuck, if that's what you're interested in learning about, and also about um, you know, different training methods, about uh, some of the general concepts, and I'm more than willing to, to talk with people about this or uh, help guide them. Yeah, and uh, I've, I've just been on the website there recently, and... Uh, there's a membership form and it's like it's I, I you know because most membership sites you go on to and I'm always like how much is this and I was like oh my god this is like so reasonable like you're you're basically like giving that information away for nothing like for what you're charging for it so I'd recommend well, and one thing to know I mean the thing is uh, the blog started out as free and I didn't want to alienate my readership but at the same time I was putting 10-20 hours a week into the site and wanted yeah. to at least um, uh, pay for some of that time that I was taking away from work and, and training but uh all of the most recent articles are free. So if you just want to read the, the most recent stuff, you can visit it and it's free. Uh, if you want to access the archives, the older stuff, and a lot of the articles we've written on the past, which is you know, hundreds and hundreds of articles on, on the topics I've talked about today and other stuff, then it's yeah, $20, $24 a year, so 2 bucks a month. So it's not, uh, not that much, and you get a huge, huge um, resource of information. So yeah, the, the idea is I, I, you know, I want people to learn. I want to create a conversation and get people talking about training. So... Yeah, and every everything that uh, 
Martin's touched on there. So regards to like his videos are down with Joel, all his details there, his website and his social media. I'll have all that linked into the show notes. So all you guys have to do is go to to all things strength and wellness, and you'll find it in the show notes. Martin, is there anything else you want to touch on before you before you, we wrap up here? Is there any projects coming up? Uh, anything you're you're doing down the line? Okay, so I'm trying to keep expanding the site, and getting some new um, some new voices on there, and um, yeah, that's that's my main focus now. Is trying to keep growing that and keep learning more myself because I think that's my my avenue of learning is is the site now because it's on one hand it's educating others, but in the end I end up learning more myself than I think a lot of the people reading do. So it's a uh, it's been fun and I keep growing that. And I'm for the past year and a half I've been finishing a book also on, on hammer throwing a technique and training um, which I finished writing quite a while ago but I've just been slow in finishing up the editing but that should also be up in the next few months brilliant brilliant stuff alright well Martin Bengals here it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show just stay online for you know just a few minutes after or, well not a few minutes but even just 30 seconds after I wrap up just so I can say my goodbyes you know but I'll just wrap up the show here so guys an absolutely brilliant interview once again packed full of information um, just for you guys who are listening right now, I just want to say thanks for downloading the podcast and please leave a review on iTunes if you haven't done it already because apparently it helps with the ratings. Also to support the podcast by going to upmentorship.com that really helps support the podcast. Like Martin said, you know, when, you, when you start putting a lot of hours into a, a website outside of your work, it, it can start eating up a lot of hours. So any little bit of help anyone can uh, contribute, that would be greatly appreciated. But for now, guys, I hope you enjoyed today. Take care. I'll talk to you soon and stay strong. Thank <laughs> you.